0: Welcome, everyone, to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey, everybody! It's your girl Win Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and everyone else all over the world whenever we feel those higher qualities well up within our hearts and minds let us give thanks and praises and let us always consider them in our dealings with others for wherever those higher qualities may be a struggle for some for whatever reasons know that it is only a call away to connect with our own mighty i am presence to be filled with an abundance of divine love and the divine knowledge and guidance as to how we can radiate that love back into the atmosphere. And when we radiate our love and energy back into the atmosphere, no matter where it reaches, it is a benefit for everyone. Amen. Give thanks and praise for love and life. I'll be loved.
1: God created man in his own image. Male and female, in one, created he them. Man in his cosmic aspect is a being very superior to that which is commonly looked upon as a man, and which is described in books on anthropology, anatomy, etc. Such external sciences deal only with the grossly material body of external terrestrial man, while the essential body of macrocosmic and microcosmic man is beyond the reach of external observation. In the study of man as a cosmic being there are three subjects to be considered, although the three are only three aspects of one. These three subjects are God, nature, and man, and neither one of them can be understood in its inner essence without an understanding of the other two. External science, natural philosophy, and theology seek to separate them. They regard man as a being separated, distinct, and independent of nature, and nature is something independent of man while of God they know nothing, and regard the divine power, which is the cause of all life, as if it were something external to nature and man, and beyond their reach. For this reason, the man of modern science has become an unnatural being, without any conceivable object for his existence, and nature is to him an organism evolved by accidents and subject to no other than mechanically acting law. The divine, spiritual, creative, and hidden powers in man and in nature are entirely removed from the field of perception of the rationalist. Man as a whole, may be conceived of as a planetary spirit, a self-conscious, luminous sphere of unimaginable extent, as, in fact, at present the mental sphere of man has no defined limits, it reaches as far as his thoughts can go. He was created for the purpose of being the image of God. The glory of God was residing in him, and he was penetrated by the light of divine love. In man is contained everything, God, and the Christ, and the angels, the celestial and terrestrial kingdoms, and the powers of hell. Outside of him is nothing of which he can conceive, he can know nothing except that which exists in his mind. No god or devil, no spirit or any power whatever can act within man unless it enters into his constitution. Only that which exists in him has existence for him. Without a realization of this fact the mysteries of religion will remain incomprehensible. It may be interesting and amusing to speculate about all the different gods and celestial hosts that go to make up the pantheons of the various nations, but such a study does not constitute real knowledge. Only when man's spiritual perceptions are unfolded and he attains divine knowledge of self, then will he know the Christ and all the celestial powers whose aggregate goes to make up the kingdom of God existing within himself. The Spirit of God resides from eternity to eternity only in heaven, that is to say, in his own essence, in the power of the majesty. When it became inbreathed into the image of man, then was heaven in man, for God willed to reveal himself in man, as in an image created after his own likeness, and to manifest the great wonders of his eternal wisdom. Stiefel The Life and Doctrines of Jacob Bohm, by Franz Hartmann, 1891
0: Isis Unveiled, Volume 2, Chapter
1: 3. The divine mind is eternal, says the Codex, and it is pure light, and poured out through splendid and immense space, pleroma. It is genetrix of the eons, but one of them went to matter, chaos, stirring up confused, turbulentos, movements, and by a certain portion of heavenly light fashioned it, properly constituted for use and appearance but the beginning of every evil. The demiurge, of matter, claimed divine honor. Therefore Christus, the anointed, the prince of the aeons, powers, was sent expeditus, who taking on the person of a most devout Jew, Yesu, was to conquer him, but who having laid it, the body, aside, departed on high. We will explain further on the full significance of the name Christos and its mystic meaning. And now, in order to make such passages as the above more intelligible, We will endeavor to define, as briefly as possible, the dogmas in which, with very trifling differences, nearly all the Gnostic sects believed. It is in Ephesus that flourished in those days the greatest college, wherein the abstruse Oriental speculations and the Platonic philosophy were taught in conjunction. It was a focus of the universal secret doctrines, the weird laboratory whence, fashioned in elegant Grecian phraseology, sprang the quintessence of Buddhistic, Zoroastrian, and Chaldean philosophy. Artemis, the gigantic concrete symbol of theosophico-pantheistic abstractions, the great mother Multimama, androgyne and patroness of the Ephesian writings, was conquered by Paul, but although the zealous converts of the Apostles pretended to burn all their books on curious arts, ta pirierga, enough of these remained for them to study when their first zeal had cooled off. It is from Ephesus that spread nearly all the gnosis which antagonized so fiercely with the Ionian dogmas, and still it was Ephesus with her numerous collateral branches of the great college of the Essenes, which proved to be the hotbed of all the Kabbalistic speculations brought by the Taname from the captivity. In Ephesus, says Matter, the notions of the Jewish-Egyptian school, and the semi-Persian speculations of the Kabbalists had then recently come to swell the vast conflux of Grecian and Asiatic doctrines, so there is no wonder that teachers should have sprung up there who strove to combine the religion newly preached by the Apostle with the ideas there so long established. Had not the Christians burdened themselves with the revelations of a little nation, and accepted the Jehovah of Moses, the Gnostic ideas would never have been termed heresies, once relieved of their dogmatic exaggerations the world would have had a religious system based on pure Platonic philosophy, and surely something would then have been gained. H. P. Blavatsky Now let us see what are the greatest heresies of the Gnostics. We will select Basilides as the standard for our comparisons, for all the founders of other Gnostic sects, group round him like a cluster of stars borrowing light from their sun. Basilides maintained that he had all his doctrines from the apostle Matthew, and from Peter through Glaucus, the disciple of the latter. According to Eusebius, he published 24 volumes of interpretations upon the Gospels, all of which we burned, a fact which makes us suppose that they contained more truthful matter than the school of Irenaeus was prepared to deny. He asserted that the unknown eternal and uncreated father having first brought forth new or mind the latter emanated from itself the logos the logos the word of john emanated in its turn phronesis or the intelligences divine human spirits from phronesis sprung sophia or feminine wisdom and dynamis strength these were the personified attributes of the mysterious godhead the gnostic winternian typifying the five spiritual but intelligible substances Personal virtues or beings external to the unknown godhead. This is preeminently a capitalistic idea. It is still more Buddhistic. The earliest systems of the Buddhistic philosophy, which preceded by far Gautama Buddha, is based upon the uncreated substance of the unknown, the Adi Buddha. This eternal, infinite monad possesses, as a proper to his own essence, five acts of wisdom. From these, it, by five separate acts of dhyana, emitted five Dhyani Buddhas. These like Adi Buddha, are quiescent in their system passive. Neither Adi, nor either of the five Dhyani Buddhas, were ever incarnated, but seven of their emanations became avatars, i.e., were incarnated on this earth. Describing the Basilidian system, Irenaeus, quoting the Gnostics, declares as follows. When the uncreated, unnamed father saw the corruption of mankind, he sent his firstborn new into the world, in the form of Christ, for the redemption of all who believe in him, out of the power of those who fabricated the world, the Demiurgus, and his six sons, the planetary Genii. He appeared amongst men as the man Jesus, and wrought miracles. This Christ did not die in person, but Simon the Cyrenian suffered in his stead, to whom he lent his bodily form, for the divine power, the new of the Eternal Father, is not corporeal, and cannot die. Whoso, therefore, maintains that Christ has died, is still in the bondsman of ignorance, Whoso denies the same, he is free, and hath understood the purpose of the Father. So far, and taken in its abstract sense, we do not see anything blasphemous in this system. It may be a heresy against the theology of Irenaeus and Tertullian, but there is certainly nothing sacrilegious against the religious idea itself, and it will seem to every impartial thinker far more consistent with divine reverence than the anthropomorphism of actual Christianity. The Gnostics were called by the Orthodox Christians, dasiti or illusionists, for believing that Christ did not, nor could, suffer death actually, in physical body. The later Brahmanical books contain likewise, much that is repugnant to the reverential feeling and idea of the divinity, and as well as the Gnostics, the Brahmins explain such legends as may shock the divine dignity of the spiritual beings called gods by attributing them to Maya or illusion. H. P. Blavatsky The loved ones of my heart, tonight as we are drawing into the lower atmosphere of Earth more of the sacred firepower from the great realm of the angelic host, we ask you to be aware more frequently of not only the service of the angels to unascended mankind but try to recognize that every ascended master is an angel, and in that capacity is at all times a revealing sun presence, to reveal to consciousness everywhere the perfection that the great sacred fire love has created, that it gives into outer action, that it expects to manifest everywhere to fulfill the great divine plan. You are not always aware of the service of the angelic host to unascended mankind to the degree that you open the way to let the angelic host's power come into your outer affairs, control conditions around you so that you prevent the discord occurring that otherwise whirls everywhere in the outer world activities. If you could see, how by just the radiation of one of the angelic host into a condition that is destructive, and sometimes just passing by the condition, the radiation of the sacred fire love goes forth from the angel into the condition. And there may not be any great sensational change, but evil just is not able to focus into the destruction that otherwise would have taken place if the angel's love had not passed by. Now we are moving constantly in the atmosphere of earth, and there are legions who bring help to mankind, but if unascended beings are not aware of our presence, they do not cooperate with us consciously enough to let us release the greatest power which otherwise they could have. Now the outer world might have some comments about this. But if you could understand what the service of the angels of the blue flame and blue lightning and cosmic illumination can do in the government of a nation and in outer world conditions that are bringing greater perfection and greater civilization into manifestation you would be utterly amazed if you could see at the inner level what can take place when a call to the angelic host goes forth beloved archangel michael You have had instances through the centuries of nations and groups of individuals deadlocked in their own ideas, unable to agree with each other, and constantly creating more and more problems. And yet do you know, even some of your world conferences in which there seems to be no agreement, that lasts any length of time, I could walk simply through the atmosphere of the city and make it impossible for the evil in those conferences to function. Now that's the power we are ready to give. That power is in the universe. It is part of life. Life is one, energy is one, consciousness is one, substance is one, space is one. And since we are the authority of perfection, and more than that, we are the manifestation of protection, if you want perfection manifest in this world, it's going to have to come by the assistance of the angelic host. Your beloved I am presence has for centuries been pouring it through, and mankind has misused it and desecrated it. the angelic host are the guarding presence of the sacred fire that are provided by the cosmic law to protect and sustain whatever constructive activity your mighty eye and presence wishes to manifest in the physical world to fulfill and outpicture the divine plan while the presence is creating and manifesting its perfection there is always a group of the angelic host that stand between the manifestation and the vibratory action of the energy around it until it is complete and even then Sometimes for centuries, legions of angels sustain the constructive activities that have been brought into existence in this world to bless mankind. Now don't let your intellect say, Well, I thought the mighty I am Presence was all-powerful. Certainly it is. Otherwise, it couldn't create perfection. But the divine plan is that the angelic host are in existence, And their service to life is to keep the energy around a manifestation controlled until the creation is perfected and is moved into outer action to build a civilization, to build a nation, or to go forward and produce certain manifestation throughout the world. And the angelic hosts are the messengers, the ambassadors, and the carriers of the great central sun's sacred fire love into any locality, to surround any manifestation that is constructive, and to sustain it until it renders its service, and its blessing to the universe around it or to mankind. This is the divine plan of life. And there are uncountable legions of the angelic host who govern manifestation, who create manifestation, who sustain it, who use it, and through which the lesser life is raised into the greater realms, of life's glorifying perfection. Beloved Archangel Michael,